peace be with you, church. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and this evening we, we will begin in verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For your word, we thank you for the certainty that we have in trusting your word, Lord. And we pray that your spirit would be among us, Lord. Bless us with your presence, God. Open up our hearts, open up our minds to see your glory, to see why we are to declare your praises just like Mary did. Lord, may your words go forth and bring much fruit today for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I just... A happy Thanksgiving to you all. Hope your week went well. I just want to update you on our plan for December. Um, If you're wondering why we're taking so long to go through chapter 1 of Luke, is because we're trying to hit the the story of the birth of Jesus right on Christmas. Um, But I I hope it's also a blessing to you. We will be going through the story of Christmas on December 12th and 19th. We will not have a service at Shorebreak during Christmas Eve. We're not going to have Christmas Eve service. But the Lutheran Church and KBC, uh, they will have a service here. And you are invited and you are welcome to join them. Uh, But on the 19th, which is three weeks from now, uh, we will have a Christmas service as a church. Uh, We'll have a meal afterwards prepared for you guys. It won't be a potluck this time. There will be more details announced um, as we get closer to that day. And that will be our celebration together as a church. And the 24th and the 25th will be for you and your family and friends to celebrate together. Um, So for the past two weeks, we looked at two stories that Luke told us about two miraculous pregnancies. And both of these pregnancies were announced by Gabriel, the angel. The first one was Elizabeth. She's pregnant with John the Baptist, and her pregnancy is miraculous because she was old. She was already unable to have children, and the Lord opened up her womb, and she was able to get pregnant with John. The second pregnancy that we looked at last week is Mary, and she is pregnant with none other than Jesus, the Messiah. But her pregnancy is, her miracle, 
of her pregnancy is that she is pregnant while being a virgin. She conceived miraculously. She didn't conceive the natural way, not from a man. And she remained a virgin through her pregnancy. And last week we looked at the importance of the virgin birth of Jesus. We looked at the massive implications that it has for our faith. And you can go back and listen to that sermon if you missed it. But as Christians, we are not ashamed of the virgin birth. Jesus incarnate, God becoming man, born of a virgin, it is a very essential part of our doctrine and faith as Christians. We are not ashamed of it. We believe in a miraculous conception. And today in our story, the two mothers who have experienced their own miracles, they meet. And as they meet, in our text we have three reactions. A reaction from Elizabeth, there was a reaction from baby John, and also Mary. It's like a family reunion. When you uh, go over to some family of yours that you haven't seen for a long time, and when you meet, when you greet each other, there's all of this excitement. Everybody has something to say. Even the children are trying to say something. This is kind of what's happening here. And the pinnacle of this excitement, at the center of it all, in verses 46 through 56, we have Mary's response, known as Mary's Magnificat. It is one of the most famous songs in all of the Bible. Today we're going to look closely at this song. And it is called Mary's Magnificat because it is Mary magnifying God, magnifying the Lord. And so after the angel tells Mary, as we look at our story here, as the angel tells her that her relative Elizabeth is pregnant, we read that Mary went with haste to see Elizabeth. She hurried out. At this point, Elizabeth is six months pregnant, and we read in verse 56 that Mary was with her for three months. I don't know if Mary got to meet John, but she left around the time that Mary either gave birth or was about to give birth. But imagine you're Mary. You're on your way to see Elizabeth. You have your own news to share. And the news that Mary has to share is kind of crazy if you think about it. If there's no context, it's crazy. Elizabeth, you know I'm engaged to Joseph. We're going to get married, but I'm pregnant. Also, I'm still a virgin, so don't worry, everything is still good. Oh, and by the way, my child, he's a Messiah. An angel came and told me. You think this lady, without context, you th- you, we would all say this lady needs the psych ward. She's a virgin. She is pregnant. Her son is a Messiah. An angel of the Lord came and told her. In fact, Mary's pregnancy was so unusual that her fiancé, Joseph, wanted to leave her behind, which he didn't. An angel explained things to him, what's happening. And so, for Mary, as she's traveling to Elizabeth, how does she share the news without sounding crazy? I'm sure at this point, Mary's still trying to wrap her mind around what is happening to her. This privilege that she has. How do you share these news with Elizabeth? Will she also try to reject me like my fiancé almost did? Will she believe me? And so Mary comes to Elizabeth, and we read that Mary greets her. And so this exciting reunion begins. We see 
Elizabeth's reaction here to Mary. Mary just greets her. She doesn't have time to even share the news. And something amazing happens. God takes over the situation. We read here that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she begins to bless Mary. And she tells Mary the news that Mary came to tell her. It's an amazing thing happening here. And Elizabeth says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And verse 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In other words, hello there. Hi, you favored one of God. You are pregnant and you are the mother of my Lord. She calls Mary's baby her Lord. Elizabeth recognizes that she is pregnant with the Savior, with Jesus the Messiah. Again, how did Elizabeth know all this? Mark tells us she was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealed it to her. Um, throughout this gospel, Luke is very attentive to the work of the Spirit. Um, we saw in the beginning that he worked with Paul closely. Um, he traveled on all the missionary journeys. Luke experienced, he saw the Spirit of God at work through the apostles, in the church. And right now, as he is putting this gospel account together, Luke also sees the Spirit of God on the move in these events and in the life of Jesus. In this gospel account, Luke mentions the work of the Holy Spirit 16 times. A lot of them are here in the beginning of this gospel. He mentions and he, he, gives, he gives credit to the Holy Spirit more than any other gospel. Luke shows us how the Holy Spirit reveals, the Holy Spirit speaks, and the Holy Spirit guides the people of God. And so Elizabeth here is filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit here reveals and speaks. And here is the core of what she says. Here's what Elizabeth does. She testifies to Mary that she is in fact the mother of Jesus. She blesses Mary for believing what the Lord has told her through the angel. Elizabeth testifies to Mary. She ministers to Mary. It's like when something unusual happens to you or you're in a circumstance that you can't explain in your life and you really don't know what happened to you and you think to yourself, am I the crazy one? And then others in your life come alongside of you and confirm to you that no, you're not crazy. Everything is good. God's got you. The Lord will bless you. This is what Mary, this is what Elizabeth is doing to Mary. God is testifying to Mary. He is ministering to her through Elizabeth. And on top of that, Elizabeth sees that her old relative is in fact pregnant. She is six months pregnant at this point, so you could see that the angel's words were true. Elizabeth sees Mary's visit as an honor. She sees it as a privilege. She marvels that Messiah would come and visit her. She marvels at the fact that her relative Mary has been blessed of carrying this baby. And the next reaction we see is John. Not only does Elizabeth testify to Mary without Mary having to explain herself, but in her womb, John testifies to Elizabeth. We read verse 41, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, 
the baby leaped in her womb. Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. We have four kids, and um, somewhere around that time, I don't know when it starts, but through the last trimester, we get to feel our babies kick. Um, And babies move, and they kick all the time. But inspired by the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth says, tells us that this leap of John's is not just an ordinary kick. This is a leap of joy. We have to remember, John is a special baby. Um, when the angel came to Zechariah and told him that they will have a son, he told him, he told Zechariah, that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. We see that in verse 15 in the same chapter. And so this joyful leap of John is a response of the Holy Spirit, again, confirming that Christ is here. And so as Mary is greeted by Elizabeth, I'm sure this was not the way Mary expected things to turn out. If she was worried to share the news, God took care of it. This unusual pregnancy is not for her to manage. God's got this. Mary did not have to explain anything to Elizabeth or to Joseph. God has taken care of her. Mary is ministered to. Mary is blessed. She is not cast out. She is accepted. She is welcomed. And this brings us to our song, this prayer, this exclamation of Mary to God about God. And in the song, Mary is celebrating God. She is making him great. She is worshiping and praising the Lord. This song is to God about his work. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offsprings forever. And so the first thing that we see about this song is that it comes from her soul. This is coming from her spirit. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It's another way of saying this song is is coming from the deepest parts of who she is. If you look into the deepest crevices of Mary's soul, where is this coming from? It's coming from within her. She is overfilling with praise to God. She is on fire for God. And here's what Mary celebrates and praises God for. And we can write a sermon for every one of these points. She magnifies the Lord because God saves. God sees his people no matter how lowly they are. God is mighty. God does great things for his people. 
God is holy. God is merciful to those who fear him. God is strong. God shows his strength. God fights against the proud. God can bring down. God can exalt. God gives to the needy. God takes away from the proud. God helps. God does not forget his own. God fulfills promises. This is the clarity that Mary has about God. All the attributes of God are on full display through Mary's song. She has a big vision of who God is, a very accurate vision. We see that she knows God. She knows what he is like. It's very evident through this song. She realizes the great power. She realizes the sovereignty of God. And it's not just somewhere out there. He's here. He cares for her. This great, powerful, and sovereign God cares for his people. He cares for those who fear him, for those who trust in him. And the greatest proof of his care is the fact that Jesus is here. He is in her. God fulfills his promises. The Messiah has come. And she's not just speaking for herself. She sees the implications of this for the entire nation even for all the nations of the world. In this moment, they are oppressed. They are lowly. They are of humble estate. It looks like the people of God are forgotten by God. And the fact that Jesus is here proves that they are not forgotten by God. The fact that Messiah is here changes everything. He is here to vindicate those who fear him. God saves. God sees his people. God is mighty. God does great things for his people. God is merciful. God is strong. God fights against the proud. God can bring down. God can exalt. God gives. God helps. God does not forget his own. God fulfills promises. And Mary worships God. She praises him. Her heart is filled with thanksgiving to the deepest core of her being, of her soul. This song is not forced. It's a natural outburst that she can no longer hold within her. As Mary praises God, notice how she views herself. Look at the posture of her heart. She doesn't say, when when Elizabeth blesses her, she doesn't say, yeah, I know, I'm pretty great, you know. Why else would God choose me to give birth to his son? I must be so holy, so righteous. I guess I've done something right that he would choose me. We don't have this here. She says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Her posture is humility. It's loneliness. She confesses her reliance and need for God's mercy. She confesses her need for his strength. And for his help. More than that, Mary calls him my Savior. She says, God, my Savior. As blessed and as favored as Mary is, 
she still needs a savior. She needs him because she has her sin. She needs a savior because she needs to be redeemed from that sin. She needs salvation just like any other human. And the baby that she has in her is the Savior. The Savior has come. And she is magnifying God, her Savior. As Mary proclaims this amazing song to God, from the deepest part of her soul, what we see here is the true heart of worship. We see a heart of true thanksgiving and praise. And church, we can, we can learn a few things from Mary about magnifying God. Would you agree with that? Would you want to magnify God like Mary does? And I wanted to highlight four things that will put us in a position to magnify the Lord as Mary did. First, a heart of worship is a heart that sees and recognizes God for who he is. We must see God for who he is. We must know him as he has revealed himself, and we get that knowledge from his word. In his word, we see his attributes, we see his character, we see who he is like. Through his word, we know God's power, God's glory, God's sovereignty, his mercy, his justice, his care. We see all of these things from scripture. We don't follow our heart to get an understanding of God. We cannot say God is like this because I feel that's how he is. We don't follow culture to God. Culture does not define to us who God is. We follow scripture. Mary's understanding of God is obviously shaped by scripture. Her song is proof that she knew her Bible. Many other psalms, many other songs and scriptures are reflected in her song. Mary knew her Bible. Mary knew her God. To worship God, you need an understanding of who he is through his word. Mary had that understanding. We must have that understanding, church. Secondly, the next step is this knowledge of God cannot just be some cold, hard facts. As we see who God is in Scripture, we must also see the evidence of God, the evidence of his character, the evidence of his attributes. We must see it also in our lives. We must See him at work. God's nature, God's character is very intimate to Mary. As she sees what is happening in her life, she realizes that this is God at work. The God that she knows through scriptures is now at work in her life. The same God. She doesn't just have knowledge of God's character. She doesn't just know the Bible. She's also a witness of God's character working out in her life. And so we must not just know God through his word, but we must also see the evidence of who he is all around us. We must know and we must recognize how God makes himself evident and intimate to us. We must see him at work blessing us. Blessing us when we do not deserve it. 
Third, we must have a proper posture before God. Just like Mary, we must have a posture of humility, posture of need, of trust, of a healthy fear of God. God opposes the proud. God opposes the self-reliant. God opposes the self-sufficient, self-righteous. They don't need God. God opposes the proud. And God is there for the humble, for the needy, for those who fear him. And so we must acknowledge our need, a need for a savior. We must acknowledge that we don't have it all together. We must acknowledge and confess and take responsibility for our sin. We must acknowledge that we need a savior. God gives to the hungry. God is merciful to the needy. God shows his strength to those who realize that they are not strong on their own. And so we must know God through his word. We must see God at work all around us. We must see the evidence of his work in in our life. We must have a proper posture before God of humility, of need. And lastly, we need the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God needs to come and minister to us. He needs to set our hearts ablaze with praise, just like he did for Mary. It's called worship in spirit and truth that Jesus talked about in John chapter 3. And here we see Mary, we see John, we see Elizabeth. They are perfect examples of worship in spirit and in truth. For example, it's like going, when we go camping and we try to prepare a fire. First you must clean the fire pit, get the old ash out of there. You must set up the logs. The logs need to be dry can't be too big. They need to be positioned properly. You must have some sort of kindling under these logs. Then all that is needed at the end is a flame. And the fire is quickly set ablaze. That is what we must do with our hearts. And even that work of preparation we are not able to do on our own. We need the Spirit's guidance and help to even prepare the fire church. We are in a posture of worship when we know God as he has declared himself through his word. When we see the evidence of his power and character around us. When we stand before him in humility and need. When that is the posture of our hearts. These are hearts that are prepared for worship. And when our hearts are prepared, the Spirit of God comes. And like Mary, we can burst with praise to our God. From the deepest parts of our soul and our spirit, not forced, not fake, not a show, but a real outburst of praise and thanksgiving to God. Listen, without any one of these elements, we cannot worship God properly. Without the Spirit, none of this can happen. Without the Scripture telling us who God is, we're trying to worship a false God. We don't know who to worship. Without seeing the evidence of God in our life, God meeting our needs, God saving us, God at work in our lives. We have nothing to praise him for. Without seeing him at work, we are cold. We have no need to worship him. And without proper posture before God, without a posture of humility and need, we are self-reliant. 
we think we have no need for God. Maybe you are not seeing the evidence of God in your life. Maybe you, you, you know God, you say you know all these things about God, but you just don't see him at work. Maybe that is because you don't see a need for him. You're not needy. You're not hungry. You're not thirsty for God. You don't have a posture of lowliness and humility. That fire is not set for him to ignite. Church, we must learn from Mary how to praise and thank our magnificent Savior. This is what we were created to do, to behold and to worship God in all of his glory. That's what we were created to do. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. It's a time that we set aside to think, to consider, to ponder on how we can impress our family with our food. I'm kidding. It's a time that we set aside and to think and consider how God has blessed us. How God has provided for us At the heart of praise, at the heart of worship, is thanksgiving. We were created to sing thanks to God. At the heart of thanksgiving is praise. At the heart of praise is thanksgiving. It is magnifying. It is celebrating. It is thanking It's setting the attention off of yourself on the giver, on the sustainer, on the provider. Like Mary, it's realizing we are in need. A thankful heart is a heart that knows that it needs. It's a heart that is not self-reliant. A thankful God, a a thankful heart is a heart that knows that God is able to provide for those needs. A thankful heart is a heart that knows that God did provide for those needs. Thanksgiving is realizing that you are dependent, that you are not self-sufficient, that you need help, you need provision, and then would see that God has provided. He has provided and he has blessed us both physically and physically. And more importantly, he has blessed us spiritually. We are thankful for the physical things, thankful for the farmers. Made our dinner this past Thursday possible. Multiple dinners for some of us. Thankful for the truckers. We're thankful for the container ships, forklift operators. Through all these people, God gives to us. But ultimately, we are thankful to God because we know, we understand that it is he who gives to all the earth. It is he who gives to us. But the greatest blessing is the same blessing that Mary has received. The blessing of Christ, our Savior who has come to save us from our sin. The blessing of Jesus who, come, who came to save us from the kingdom of darkness that kept us captive. He has shown us his mercy and might by ripping us out of slavery to sin and to death. And he brought us into his kingdom of light. He has done a great work, church. We have much to praise and worship him for. As we think over the past week, as you maybe think even about the season that you are in, in your life, how does your thanksgiving, how does your worship of God compare to Mary's? 
when you open up your mouth, what pours out? What do our friends hear from the abundance of our words? What does your spouse, your kids hear? What do your neighbors, your co-workers hear? Scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What dominates your heart? What dominates your conversations? Is it maybe you are overly preoccupied with work? Maybe it's the next project, the next purchase, the next vacation, the next source of income. Maybe it's the economy. Maybe you are deeply drowning in problems. And they are not allowing you to see God's glory, God's goodness, problems in the world, problems in your life. Maybe it's health. Maybe you're filled with complaining. Maybe you're filled with gossip. Maybe it is bitterness that pours out from your soul. Bitterness against family, bitterness against God, bitterness against the world, your parents, church. Maybe the abundance of your heart is politics. What dominates our conversation? What is it that fills your heart? If you had to speak from the bottom of your soul, if we made a line right here and we gave a mic to each one of you and allowed you to speak honestly, what would pour out of your soul right now? What sets your spirit ablaze? To what do you sing praise to? God calls us to rise above all those things. He calls us to see him as the great giver of all that we have. He calls us to see that he is much greater than all the bitterness, complaining, and problems that you face. He calls us to see that all of our other obsessions are tiny Meaningless things compared to God. He calls us to see his greatness. See that he is a God who saves. See that he is a God who sees his people. That God is mighty. That God does great things for his people. This song is not just for Mary. This song is for us. This is our cry church. This is why we celebrate God. God does great things for his people. God is holy. God is merciful to those who fear him. God is strong. God shows his strength. God fights against the proud. God can bring down, God can exalt. God gives to the needy and the lowly. God takes away from the proud. God helps. God does not forget his own. God fulfills his promises. That is our God. He is still the same. Mary's God is our God. The Savior that came to her is the Savior, Jesus, who came to us. See the greatness of your God. Know him. See the evidence of his work all around you. Ask him for a heart, for a posture of need.
and bless him, worship him. Some of us, we're so muted. Our praise is so dull. We do not even know where to begin. A good place to begin is repentance. A good place for us to begin is confession. It's taking responsibility. Look within our hearts. Look in deep. What fills it? What fills our soul? What fills our spirit? Ask your spouse, what have I been consumed with? Ask your friends to speak truth to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. And then confess. Repent. It's an acknowledgement of need. It's an acknowledgement of dependence. And then go to his word. Open the scripture. Allow the spirit of God to minister to you. To show you who God is. To show you his greatness. Allow your church to minister to you. The Elizabeths to minister to you. Ask the Spirit to show you the evidence of God's greatness around you and worship Him and thank Him, church. Pour out praises. Let your heart overflow. And lastly, one of the best ways that we can, it's very practical, very practical way that we can minister to each other is by singing praises to God together. There's a reason why we sing three songs in the beginning and three songs at the end. There's a reason why we as a church work hard to make sure that the songs that we sing are actually about the God that the Bible tells us about. We need to hear each other sing. Sometimes we don't feel like singing. Get over yourself. Just proclaim. And then you will start feel then you will feel like singing. We minister to one another when we sing and declare the glory of God. Those who might not see those who might not know how great God is will come and hear, and by hearing us sing, they will hear and they will know. So sing, church, just a reminder to you at the end. And so, as we prepare our hearts for communion, before you come, before you partake, spend some time reflecting on the posture of your heart. Confess to God your idols. Confess to him things that have set your heart ablaze with praise that were not him. Confess. Repent. And then receive his mercy and grace. Receive his forgiveness. See the evidence of his grace and his love towards you through the gift of his son. This is one of the things that we have, a physical reminder to show us the greatness of God's love and mercy. His body was crucified. His blood was shed to save sinners like me and you. And so as we reflect on our hearts, as we confess our idols, so we hopefully throw those idols down and place Jesus on the throne of our hearts. Let us be thankful to him for what he has done. And so um, when we worship during this next song, you can come through the middle, uh, take one of the cups, and go back to your seat and partake. Underneath uh, the wine or the juice, there's another cup with the cracker for you. I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians 11, and then we'll pray. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you that you have not left us in our sin. That you have not left us in death. That you have not left us in the claws of Satan. But you rescued us. And you rescued us at a great price. The life of your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this love. We thank you for this mercy. And Lord, we thank you for your word, that through your word we may know you. And Father, I pray that your spirit would be at work in us individually, in us as families, and in, in us as a church, church family, that your spirit would be at work in us to reveal us your glory, the glory of God, the glory of Jesus. And Father, show us how your glory is all around us, not just through creation, but through all that you give to us, both physically and spiritually, Lord. Father, may you give us and give our hearts a proper posture. May we be lowly. May we be needy before you, O Lord. May we be dependent. And may we see you come and meet our needs. May we witness your strength when we are weak. Do this work in our hearts and in our lives, God. Do this work in our families. Do this work in our church, Lord. And Father, we confess our sin. We confess that more often than not, on the throne of our hearts sit other idols. That we sing praises and glories not to you, but often to the gifts that you have given us. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, that even in our sin, you have accepted us, Lord, and you have forgiven us. We thank you for that. And right now, Lord, as we partake, prepare our hearts. May Jesus be the king of our hearts. May he be the source of our rejoicing and of our praise. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.